Hello, and welcome to Cinema Bushido. Uh, I am your host, Matthew Whitaker, and with me, as always, is uh, the pris to my Roy, Mr. Lee Van Cleef. How's it going, Lee? Every day is a holiday, buddy. How are you doing today? Oh, it's going well. Uh, you're on that permanent vacation, as uh, I always like to point out. But, um, yeah, how's the, how's the temperature? It's colder than a witch's titty. Thanks for asking. <laughs> well, today we have a very special announcement. Um, Lee, is uh, he had puberty last time. To, today, Lee's pregnant. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, today, we have a very special guest, uh, one who's joined us many times in the past. Um, Lee and I, we both got down on one knee, and we asked him to become a permanent fixture on the show, uh, as time will allow him to do so, considering he is Mr. Attack on Movies. How's it going, Stephen? It's it's good, and I'm I'm I accept your offer with uh, with a whole heart. It's um, very very flattering that you asked. I don't think that was a real ring that Lee was trying to push onto your finger. It looked like it was rubber. <laughs> it was made of rubber, and it it had it, it it was a little bit greasy. In my defense, it was borrowed and blue. So, <laughs> oh, it's, it's the thought that counts. It's the thought that counts. Absolutely. Well, I, tonight, I uh, uh, question. What's that? Sorry. Well, if uh, if if we're your press to his royal, whatever, does that make me JF Sebastian, or or can I be Deckard? Um, I I think that unfortunately, because we talked about the time allows, um, that makes you uh, Brian um, Brian's character. Uh, what's his name? You get you got shot in the back of the head. So Leon, Leon, yeah, yeah, oh. you, you get to be Leon. I was thinking, I think it's Sebastian because it was yeah. funny. Oh, you know that actually works really well, and I'm sure you have all the. The little friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got to go back to the HIPAA violation of my gynecologist exposing the fact that I'm pregnant to ghost. Yeah, and he's not—he's not on my power of attorney. That's—that's that's offensive, sir. My apologies. Yeah. Um, yeah, tonight, obviously, based on, uh, on on that, we are talking about Blade Runner. In fact, we are talking about Blade Runner, the final cut. Um, I read about that because I had originally got my hands on the director's cut, which, accordingly, um, the director had nothing to do with. Uh, Ridley Scott said, no, nah, I don't have time for that shit. I'm doing my own stuff, so I'm not even going to bother. And then um, it came out, director's cut. Everyone laughed at it, so he said, I need to make my own. And that is our final cut. Not going to mess with it anymore. So with that, uh, I am drinking what's called the Java the Hop. It is a coffee IPA, and it is quite delicious. Uh, Mr. Leroy Brown, what is uh, what is pouring into your gullet? This well, I, I finished my, my pint of uh, of Jim Beam uh, <laughs> bourbon. So now in my Santa heard my prayers and my uh, also my ransom note. And he got me something. He got me a little beer pint glass that says it's on, motherfuckers. So I'm drinking Breck IPA for the last hour with that. That's very nice. It's very nice. Because last time I saw you in person, you were drinking out of a measuring cup. That's a, that's a vicious lie. <laughs> but go on. All right. Well, Stephen, uh, I know it's a little bit late for you. Uh, as anyone who's uh, listened, uh, they know that you're uh, across the pond from uh, mm. from Lee and I, uh, so you, you've already had your whole evening. Uh, what are you What are you drinking? I'm I'm drinking. So I've gone kind of high class. I'm I'm drinking Glen Morangi uh, Highland mm. uh, got whiskey single malt. Mm. Yeah, of course, of course. Which, as nice. you know, is exactly what Connor McLeod orders when he goes into the bar uh, and uh, <laughs> meets up with Brenda in Highlander. That's yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll uh, that that makes me feel that much more. Uh, 
much more relevant to this. Yeah, yeah it's very, it was very cool. In fact, uh, it, it started me down this whole path of thinking that um, all people from the Highlands uh, would drink Glenmorangie on the rocks. <laughs> Which, of course, I eventually found out was not true. But it still is a very solid, nice and peaty, um, awesome scotch. I'm loving it. The orange label. Well, I, I have to say, um, I, I was talking to Lee the other night. I was about 30 minutes into Blade Runner, and I, I was said, you know, so I'd watched this when I was about, um, I was probably 12 years old, 13 years old, somewhere around there for the first time. And a friend of mine showed it to me, and he showed me the scene um, where uh, Booby Girl gets uh, blown away while jumping through the glass. Um, her name is Zora. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously we were kids, and we were really just watching it to see her boobs in the um, clear plastic jacket, and we all thought that was awesome. So eventually I get older. I watched it when I was, like, a, a teenager, maybe early 20s, and I remember feeling like, you know, yeah, it was it was cool and all, but it was kind of boring, and... I don't know. Watching it this time, about 30 minutes in, I told Lee, I'm like, gosh, maybe this just isn't my jam. I mean, I'm like, I'm pretty bored already. It was right at the point where um, they're doing the uh, test on, um, on, um, Leon. Th- um, no, Leon's right at the beginning. Um, 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 Sean, uh, Rachel. What's her name? God, yeah, I, can't, Rachel, I yeah. could not come up with Rachel to save my life. Yeah, I was thinking Sean Young and I was stuck with Sean in my head. Yeah, when they're doing her test and we all know that, you know, she is a replicant and, and I'm just like, okay. Well, it did me a great service. I watched the rest of it like with headphones on and very close and I was so sucked into this movie and the, the atmosphere and just the, the feeling, uh, the, the music and it was absolutely a pleasure all the way up to the end. I didn't want it to end. I thought it was so good. Um, let me stop right there and jump straight to you, Stephen. This was your suggestion that we go down this path, which I think is great because uh, we have the, the sequel come in or maybe the continuation of the story if it's not exactly a sequel since it's 30 years later. But yeah, what did you think? What, did, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's a movie I've seen uh, lots of times and uh, I, I, I remember watching the... Um, theatrical version and comparing it to the director's cut when I was a teenager and, you know, obviously much preferring the director's cut because the, the theatrical version is kind of patronizing and it explains everything um, and it's it's very um, on the nose. Um, I, I've seen the final cut a few times as well um, and I watched it today and I, I think it's a, it's a beautiful film. I think in terms of uh, cinematography, it's about as good as it gets um you know ridley scott the, the famous quotation is that he was painting with light and that's certainly there um you know every every frame of the movie has all kinds of um elements of visual interest you've got spinning fans you've got venetian effect lighting um you've got like neon uh, neon lighting sometimes you've got smoke all the time smoke and steam so I, so i love all of that and I, I love the production design. It, it, it's. I, I love the fact that they're using. I mean, obviously they would have had to have then, but the sort of practical effects um, that you know we're looking at models, we're looking at um, matte paintings, um, and and it, it seems so real and tactile in a way that films don't really anymore. Um, so I, I love that, and I, I know what you mean about it being uh, boring. I know you kind of changed your mind, but. 
it, it is often criticised for being boring, that, that, that there isn't much in the way of narrative. But I kind of like that. I like the fact that it allows you to live inside this movie and experience it and get, uh, you know, sucked into the texture and the sound of the film um, and not worry too much um, about following the plot. Right. Um, you know, I would say I was... Um it was it was exactly that i i found i was watching it wrong <laughs> right yeah that's a fair one but the thing about it you know i mean well i guess we'll end, inevitably get to this but um when you get to the end of the film and there's that kind of twist ending which some people refuse to accept as a twist ending and maybe the sort of sequel continuation doesn't fit with that twist ending but anyway and then you watch the film again it's full of all kinds of subtleties um, that you might not have noticed first time round, which actually make the film, although narratively it's simple, it does have a complexity to it. Um, there's a lot of thought that's got into all these little individual touches, which when you see the movie a second time, you know, look like clues, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an extraordinary feat of filmmaking and it's great that we we finally got the final definitive cut, which is the, the version that anybody should see. Uh, you know, I uh, actually, my, my first favorite part of the movie was the first 20 minutes, you know. Uh, I, I like the subtlety. I like that, like, Stephen already uh, expressed it in such a way that I can't really compound upon it other than to say that he's, he's absolutely right. It, he, Ridley Scott, if nothing else, has, he's, he's the genesis of any world like he can create anything and it feels like real it feels very real um i i i, I kind of laughed like it was one of these movies where it like it, it, really scott until this point has never been fallible in my eyes like i'm like man this guy is just untouchable there were moments in this movie that were i was like wow i'm like i'm i'm drinking and standing in front of my tv right now like there were moments that were so unreal and kind of ridiculous that it was it, it just took me out of the moment but then but the reality is is that i mean he was just trying I, in my own opinion he was just trying to be bold but in re, the in in retrospect the movie was not a bad movie it wasn't like the octagon which you should never watch but it was like it was like for it was the little things like it's, it's it's always the subtleties right that that both make and break a movie and like one of my favorite parts is like right in the beginning it was like the replicant was in bold and red, you know, in the in, in the title, you know, when they're explaining the backstory, and I was like, I was just cracked up. I was like, remember that? That might be important, you know. And then, uh, you know, like they call, like I love the news speak when they talk about retiring the replicants rather than murdering them, which is what they're really doing. Um, I thought the Voight comp scene, uh, not only between Leon and the the soon to be murdered uh, Voight comp whoever his name is, and then later on with Deckard and and, uh, and Rachel. That, I thought those both were really good. And uh, I like how there's a certain way, I don't, know, I don't know how to summarize it into words, but I liked how uh, the synthetics looked a little off. Like the, the Nexus 6 guys, they looked just a little bit different. There was something a little bit different about them in the world. Uh, and, you know, you get to see Harrison Ford do like a voiceover and a geeky voice and, uh, you know... you. You just see all these different things that that are that you'll never see again. You'll never see Harrison Ford try to imitate Rick Moranis or anything ever again. You know, um, and there was a like a philosophical angle to them. The movie, it, like it, it's kind of ridiculous at points, 
But the movie, it has a great premise, and there's like the that temptation of knowing your death, which the, you know they look at like as their their end date or the end of service date, and it, it just kind of runs in the face of, face of that uh, Shakespearean idea of it's not in the stars to hold your destiny, but in ourselves, and it's like this kind of cruel fate that it's not in themselves. It's completely you know um, dictated by uh, by uh, technocrats. And that uh, you know, I mean, and, and I mean, it's a movie where, like, like uh, Stephen had said, it's just visually and auditorily, it's very, it's very perfect. Uh, I mean, there's like the fucked up sex scene, which you know, could, I mean, I, I I don't agree with, but in general, it was like it was a movie where like it it it, it wins you, it loses you, and then it, and then you come back, and then you you wait for the end, and then Pris's death scene's horrible. Most of the Rutger Hauer, uh, Harrison Ford scene is horrible, and then it's like, it's like almost as if like uh, on the third day it rises from the dead, you know, and that Rutger Hauer death scene is just, it's just full of like philosophical and intelligent brilliance that just like make that just catapults it. It's soaring above the throne of heaven into like this, into this, into this, into this uh, higher, higher transcendence that we can't ever really comprehend as he explains the fact that he's seen so much and he's about to die and for for not and it it it's it's good it's it's good it's got it's got some moments that are that i would have cut out but it's it's i mean it's ridley scott so you're going to get a great amount of violence and action there's going to be some scenes that are going to be like you should have cut that bro i didn't see any um to be honest, once I once I really committed, I didn't see anything that I felt was like extra stuff. Um, I did feel like the the pacing was very deliberately slow. Now, what you said about the the replicants and how they were a little bit different, I agree with you. Like, and and not with Rachel, but um, but the other two, uh, well, the other the other three, they they were very um aggressive and they're very arrogant, and that was a really interesting um, contrast for me. Is that Sean Young's character, so I'm sorry, Rachel, um, when you compare that to Roy or Pris or Leon, like th- those three, they really like they were in this because they wanted to win. They came, they wanted life. They were going to figure out how to extend their lives. And Rachel, I guess it was that idea that she didn't know she was one, and maybe didn't have that that drive. But she was sort of. Uh, just melancholy and and slow and every scene she was in was she was sort of like non-committal to anything that was actually going on um i say that even knowing that she you know blew the robot brains out of one of them and and all of that but you know i think she was played very well um by sean young i i know her from lots of other movies and i've never liked her but she was so good in this just perfect yeah, I mean the, the thing is um, with, with the you know the, one of the I guess one of the themes of the the movie and and you know is that these um, these replicants are basically the victims of the story. Um, they you know they they're, they're not the bad guys. They they've been created to be oppressed, and they've overthrown their masters. Um, and in, in in fact, in the in the original version, this is explained. You know, with uh, you know. Th- real clumsiness but but that that it's a bit like you know black people you know black slaves um that that's in the decad sort of voiceover um so you know that their aggression is completely understandable and forgivable um and then the 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 rachel character has lived 
a life of privilege, or at least an imagined life of privilege, because obviously she hasn't she hasn't been alive for very long. And then, you know, when she discovers that she's a replicant, um, she almost like gives up her own personality. So the sort of fucked up sex scene um, that Lee was talking about, it, it is really fucked up. And the, the thing about it is that Harrison Ford knows that she's a replicant. And so he's t he suddenly starts treating her like an object. Um, and it is really disturbing. And the Van Gelis music is really like soft. So it sort of distracts you from how unpleasant it is. But basically, he's telling her what to say. You know, tell me that you, you know, t tell me you want me to kiss you. I want you to kiss me. And um, it, it is very disturbing. Although I, I, I suspect that there's a line that they added to avoid making it sound like he's raping her, where she says, put your hands on me. And he doesn't tell her to say that. Um, so I think they tried to it looking like a rape by, by putting that in there it's a good point i was when i'm watching that scene i had taken the, some notes and i said that sean looked sean young looked really good you know as the replicant and my next line because it was right at that point i put in so good decker decides to rape her question mark <laughs> yeah i know I, oh right i know i couldn't believe it happened like yeah well i thought i thought the implication was that this wasn't the first time he's done this right that he knows how to coach her up and and how to get it going and if they're a replicant, they may not, if it's not within their function, they're not a pleasure bot or whatever the fuck it is. Like, I thought, well, you know, first of all, yeah, I put fucked up rape scene. But then I thought also, like, she may not, he's teaching her, like, new, a new, like, new line of code or program to get it going. Because he can sense that, you know, there's an attraction there for whatever it's worth. Right. And that, you know, he's trying to initiate it. He's trying to, like, you know, stoke the fire. But I felt like that was implied that that might just be one of the perks of being a Blade Runner is that occasionally you'll fuck a replicant before you kill it. Well, let me ask you, yeah. can you rape a robot? I mean, I can try. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, no, but, you know, that, that's kind of one of the higher questions in the movie, isn't it? What, what, uh, what makes a person a person? What makes a person, a, what makes a human being? Or, you know, what's the difference between these these uh, intelligent and synthetic people and a human being and what you know it, it's kind of running through the movie like um, mm -hmm. Deckard treats um, treats Ray, Rachel like an object the moment he finds out that she's a replicant and you've got J.F. Sebastian who's just surrounded by toys so he's he's creating these things as toys and of course you've got people like Roy Batty and Pris and, and Zora who've been used as slave labor and prostitutes off world so I, I think it is that that you know, it's not kind of um, it's not an idea that's developed really heavily, but but the idea that um, you, you know it, it's dangerous for human beings to create life, and 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 where do you draw the line between something that's considered artificial intelligence and something that's actually a person with with rights? That those issues definitely are there in the film, and I think they're there in 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 that scene. So I think it's a really disturbing scene. Yeah, um, it, for that reason, it makes our hero a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. It does, but but he's a tragic piece of shit too. Because if you if you agree with Ridley Scott and 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 me and and you know for, for me the way the end of the film kind of you know um, directs you is of course um, Deckard's a replicant as well. So the joke's on him. Do you know what I mean? Like he's going around killing all of these replicants, but he is actually a replicant. And his boss and his colleague um, Gaff, I think his name is, also know that he's a replicant. So, so I, I read that, but I also read that uh, then, um, I think it was Harrison Ford that came back and said, nah, there's no way, or whatever, like, based on, yeah. you know, how he was playing it. I don't know. But I, 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 you know, I guess, I don't know whether we were going to get into this later, but it, it seems, first of all, Ridley Scott is the author of the movie. I mean, there's no question about that. 
you know, although there's a writer and a cinematographer and there's actors, I think it's a, it, it's a, it's the probably the only film that Ridley Scott's made that could be considered a, an, a piece of auteur um, filmmaking. It's his, it's his film. There's no question about that. And it doesn't really matter what anyone else wanted or what anyone else says. He he wanted that to be the case. Yeah, it, there's a question where Rachel asks him, "Have you ever asked these questions to yourself?" Right. Right, and well, and that, I, that's I, a very related question. Have either yeah, of you ever have either of you ever read the um, "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep" by Philip K. Dick? Yeah, I don't smoke LSD. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I didn't need to. I read that, but yeah, I have. And it was that. Uh, I mean, was that was that storyline there or part it's of it? The, but they're not. They're, they're barely related to each other. The, 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 you, there's no point really in comparing them because um, they're totally they're totally different. Um, it, it's it's he's taken the essence of the idea and turned it into something completely different. Um, yeah, and I want to piggyback on Stephen's point. Like there, there are the the point that that I was trying to make that Stephen hits on, and he he expresses it so succinctly is that the higher questions, the philosophical questions of the movie are what make the movie so redeeming, right? Like for instance, like there's the like it's the Aquinas, Lockean, Jeffersonian view that. You know, our humanity, or our by by virtue of being, you know, created by a creator, whatever, whichever way you come about it, you come to the same equation, which is that our rights are inherent by by virtue of our like our sent being sentient. And the moment that that humanity makes sentient beings, like what what right do we have to enslave uh, or to remove those rights from something that can feel and that can have an intellect? And that, by all intents and purposes, really has its own will, yeah. and that's that's the that's the that's the uh, that's the magnus opus of the story. Yeah. Is that when you watch Rugger Hauer, who is Fifty Shades of Gay, when he decides <laughs> to to scare Deckard, uh, he he repeats the line that Leon repeats. What's it like to live in fear? And then he also saves Deckard's life, and and in like this this beautiful moment, he expresses to him that that mortal coil and it's like it's like a cheated sense of it like it changes deckard deckard has a moment he has a transition from deckard the blade runner to deckard the the blade boner you know where he goes after rachel and protects her and it's like it's just one of these moments where like he realizes that in some sense their their artificial or their their manufactured design does not in any way, shape, or form, preclude them from all the care and love of an, of another human, and it's kind of like it kind of goes into like this Genesis story, uh, like that you know, a, a God and Adam and Eve. It's like the same story. It's the original story of humanity replayed out in a hellhole called Los Angeles uh, in 2019 in November. But it has a religious overtone, doesn't it? As you were saying, because. You know, it, it's not just about, um, you know, their rights. It's about, you know, is he going to go to heaven when he dies? What's going to happen? And so, you know, when he meets um, Tyrell, who is essentially what well, he is, his maker, he kisses him before he kills him. Um, and then when he dies, he releases that white pigeon up to the heavens. And the idea, I suppose, is that, you know, his soul is escaping up to heaven. Um, and if it isn't, it, you know, you can either take it as visual poetry, which is that Ridley Scott is saying, yeah, his soul is going up to heaven. Or you can read it as 
um, Roy Batty just wants to release something when he dies to feel as if his soul going up to heaven. So there's that, there's that, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a film with like a really simple plot, visually beautiful, but I think the reason why people watch it again and again and again, and I, I swear to you, I've probably seen it 20 times in one version or another, is that, you know, there are a lot of ideas there, and, the, and because it doesn't explain itself clearly, um, except for the theatrical version, which explains itself embarrassingly clearly, but because it doesn't explain itself clearly, it's a film that you can ponder. It's a film that you can think about. It's a film you can argue about. Um, I, I, I feel like it's not actually, you know, that difficult to understand, but I've watched it so many times now that maybe I have very fixed views about it. Um, but it, but it's, a, it's a film that is, you know, built for repeat viewing. That, you know, coupled with the fact that it's one of the best-looking films you'll ever see and, and one of the best-sounding films you'll ever see is why it's a movie, you know, that's, that's I, I, I think, a masterpiece and is a film that, that people will never, never completely get tired of. Yeah. You know, I think um, if you would have asked me before we started this conversation, I would have said um, 100% that what this movie is about is this AI that wants to live longer and the problems like that are just um, put upon them by the story of the, you know, the movie. It's the future. There are Blade Runners. People are mad that they killed the hell out of them. But, you know. In the end, it was a very simple idea. Godly, you, you you're putting your dog in the refrigerator. I uh, I had to I had to reach out and grab a a refreshment while you were talking. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, I thought it was I mean, the most important thing to me was just that it ended up being absolutely beautiful. I mean, it was just so well filmed, and um. I, I wrote down beautiful like The Shining, but run down like Brazil. You know, it, it gave me feelings of both of them, like this, this like epically glorious, um, beautiful thing. And then, um, of course, um, very much the future where the future wasn't what we intended it to be. It's, it's very much like the future that um, a lot of I feel like I've seen this a lot in like um, what we look at the in England in the future. It's these small flats on top of each other with uh you know weird duct work and stuff like that it's mm. it's very um utilitarian versus uh beautiful but the the film was beautiful and yeah yeah but you know the other thing is it, it's 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 weird because it was made obviously in the early 1980s it's set a couple of years in the future um you know which obviously then was quite a long time in the future and it's it now you look at it and it's basically steampunk which it wasn't i don't think it was meant to be um you know, like they're tapping on those really old clunky computers and, you know, do you know what I mean? And, and they've got this kind of like mixture of technology, which we don't have and we're probably never going to have, like imaginary technology and like old, old technology. And, the, and it's jammed together in this imagined future. And so you get this, you get this weird, um, weird, dirty, derelict kind of steampunk future, which I, I like. I like that. But but also, I, you know, it's funny. I, when I was watching it, I was thinking of Brazil as well. And I think that's the practical special effects. You know, they're just so great. It's just so great what they could do with models and lights and, uh, you know, and map paintings. It, it's just so much nicer and so much more artful than, than computer-generated special effects. It's just great. Oh, and it definitely jumps on that whole, this is what the future looked like in the 80s. Um, the idea that, like, in some of the opening shots, I, maybe the first time we see Decker, he's reading a newspaper while a gigantic TV flies by. You know? 
yeah, yeah. We're, we're at that future and i tell you nobody reads the paper <laughs> and yeah very strange but there was a there was a tv show in the 80s called uh, max hedrum that was based on the computer animated character and same idea you know this this future that was the uh, this idea that we couldn't get out of like okay tvs are definitely going to get big but pretty much everything else is going to stay the same um we're most definitely going to have flying cars <laughs> yeah, and yeah, we'll- yeah. Not quite, not quite what the future actually turned into. Yeah, we should get some flying cars. It's a, it's a shame that we haven't got them really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That reminded me. Another, of course, uh, very similar to um, uh, 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 Fifth Element, right? Flying mm. cars and the the um, overly uh, dark but um, also very colorful uh, big city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another beautiful film, actually. Um, Edward James Olmos, I, I had that, uh, a small note about him. I mean, very funny to see him, um, in that getup and so young and mm-hmm. skinny and. <laughs> yeah. He's unrecognizable, isn't he? You wouldn't, you wouldn't yeah. know. I was going to say, yeah, he's unrecognizable. I was like, is that Edward James Olmos? I don't know. I've got to see a picture of his ass to make sure. Yep. It's him. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, is he supposed to be Chinese? Uh, I couldn't quite tell. Yeah. And then, you know, they had, they did that interesting thing with the city talker, you know, it was a. However, you know, city language would change from people who happen to be confined to one area and everybody else is off on other planets. Mm. I think he invented that patois for the for the film. And it was meant to be like a mixture of all these different dialects. Um, yeah, it was very clever. Well, let's mm. uh, we'll jump to this. Uh, I, I want to hear um, we'll start with Lee. Lee, I want to hear what your favorite scene was. Oh, you you already know. It wasn't when Rugger Hauer said the one thing that every man would say in honesty to a woman when he's, you know, about yep. to lose his virginity, where he says, I'm going to give you a few seconds before I come. <laughs> I giggled. <laughs> uh, but my favorite scene was when Deckard fell for the old dry me trick, you know? He's like, he's there with, he's there with boobies, and... He's he's in the nerdy voice, which I'm like, what is 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 Harrison Ford? You said it earlier, and I had to. I, I laughed right when you said it because I wrote that down too. That nerdy voice he puts on. Oh my god! And this is like this is, yeah, ridiculous. And I I just couldn't believe I was seeing like him doing it, and then you know, boobies puts her head in the head dryer. She has to like put her head into the head dryer. Like she literally has to like be surrounded, and then you know uh, she comes out, and he's still planted up. And uh, and he goes. She goes. Oh, you're a dedicated man. She's a hair dry me. Like every man in his life has ever had happen to him. He goes to dryer, and then she just straight decks him. I was like, that's. And then along with the the plastic poncho, I was just like, man, this is this is too much. I just <laughs> at that point, I was just like, that. I'm I'm very alert. But yeah. it was it was funny because like it was one of those things where it was like, like can you imagine shooting that scene and be like, no, that'll be in the movie. Like I was just like. <laughs> No, Booby should have done something uh, sexual, and then it should have been over, and then he finds out or something. It should have been a little, should have been a little bit more complicated in the way they killed her, and they should have done more with boobies. And God bless her for having nice boobies. That was my favorite scene. Totally. All right, Stephen. Yeah, actually, that's, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I mean, it is that the the, the uh, Deckard putting on a funny voice is ridiculous. But at the same time, so there's a uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's a Humphrey Bogart movie, um, The Big Sleep. Yep. And, um, you know, so Blade, Blade Runner is, is, is future noir. I mean, that's what it is. Um, and there's, a, I think it's in The Big Sleep where um, 
where Humphrey Bogart does something very similar. He puts on a ridiculous voice and uh, like turns up the brim of his his fedora cap and does the same thing. And it's a ve- it's a very similar scene. So I, I did wonder when I was watching it whether it was a intentional um, homage to that to that scene, considering that they're both they're both film noirs. Um, but the, my I guess my my I, the weird thing is I was expecting you to say that your favorite scene was the tears in the rain, uh, Rutger Hauer. That was my second favorite scene. I yeah. just didn't I didn't mention it because it's it's too beautiful to, to too beautiful. So, yeah. so I guess I, I was going to say that my favorite scene. That I mean, first of all, the tears in the rain scene is my favorite scene. It's a, it's it's one of the best scenes ever in American movies, and yeah. it, you know, and it was improv. I think it was improvised or you know, basically written by Roger Howard. He came up with those lines of dialogue, and they're profound and they're beautiful and they're poetic, and um, you know, the Vangelis music is incredibly beautiful and poignant and the rain is pouring and the light is gray and the steam everywhere. And then, you know, he says time to die and his head flops down and he releases that white pigeon up to the heavens and Deckard looks at him and feels sad and poignant and, you know, whatever, and considers life and existence and all that. And it's one of the most incredible moving, best directed, best film, best acted, best written scenes in the history of anything ever. But, but you know, aside from that, the, the, so I was expecting you to say that. So I, w- I was going to say the scene where Boobies or Zora, whatever you want to call her, really, um, she, when she gets shot and she crashes through all of that glass. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's just amazing. It's amazing. And you see all the, you see, like, shards of glass are falling. There's neon light reflected against the glass. She's got this see-through Mac on that's flying then she crashes into some snow and there's snow falling. And then when she's dead and she's lying there, Deckard walks towards her and there are bubbles coming out from behind him. You know, as a piece of just like orchestration of all these different elements of light and physical objects, it, it's, it's as good as it gets. No, no one has ever shot anything better than that, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I, I can't really decide between those two things. So I, ingredient mentioned both of them all right well i've got I've, I've got one favorite scene which i'll tell you in a second the most important scene for me in terms of um helping me kind of understand what i know of the film and and why i loved it is it was all over for deckard he was done and of course roy saves his life pulls him up sets him down and then gives him the speech and it wasn't yeah. the speech so much i mean that really was an emotional scene and it was fantastic but it it sort of proved to me that everything I'd been feeling up to that point about how he's the enemy and they're all the enemy and, you know, Deckard's the hero, it was just gone. I mean, he, he realizes it's over. He, he's not going to find this extension to his life. He saves a human what or maybe another um, replicant, who knows, um, and, you know, gives him his rundown. That was it. My favorite scene <laughs> is Leon, right at the beginning, opening sequence that uh, <laughs> the questions... <laughs> I loved the part oh, yeah. where he, you know, he says oh, like... Let me um, tell you about my mother. Well, sure. He, 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 he says uh, the turtle lays on his back, you know, the, you know, he's in the hot sun, all that stuff. And he's like, and you're not helping. And Leon says, what do you mean I'm not helping? <laughs> I laughed out loud at that. But then, of course, I wrote down, my mother? Let me tell you about my mother. And then, yeah, three shots blows him through the fucking wall. Uh, I just, you know, it, it spoke to me. I loved it. Yeah. I- yeah, I thought my mother's a bitch, and then uh, what I was also thinking was uh, the reason why I, I thought the reason why Rutger Howard saved Roy saved 
Deckard is not for like a divine or like a, a higher calling or a beautiful reason. I think he saved him because that was his immortality was to tell his was to tell his testimony to him before he died an untimely death. See, I didn't see it that way. And I guess that's the beauty of it. I saw it as, uh, you know, he had finally come to realize, you know, he jumped over. It showed all the skill that he has and all how much better he is than a human that he could jump across the divide without almost falling to his death. Which self-assured and, you know, just sort of, he fucked with him right until he actually lost his grip. Then he catches it and brings him up as like, you know, sort of proving that the series six or whatever they called were really the superior beings, and that's they, that's they blown to have... that's blown to shit. If the theory is correct that Deckard is uh, one as well, then it's kind of like, well, I'd have to reevaluate. They don't have to prove their their prowess, right? Like they already know they're engineered. Like that Leon is able to lift like six hundred pound munitions like all day long, right? Like they already know they're physically better, and and to some degree they're just they're better than us because they're engineered to be better than us. But the, the point to me is that like, uh, he wept over Pris's death. Like he wanted vengeance and he, he didn't want it to be slow. He wanted it to be, you know, deliberate. I didn't like most of that after I didn't like Pris's death. I thought that was ridiculous. I had like Highlander PTSD. I'm glad you said that about Highlander. It was just like Fazil. But it was like, it was just like it was one of these things where it was like you know at the end when he, it, you know he looks like he's gonna kill, Deckard, and he just he stops and he he's looking down the scope of his mortality and he realizes the one thing that we all want to realize whether you're Lex Luthor, uh, to quote C one thirty who was on our show last week. Um, or you know, or or Roy, you you want to you want your life to matter, like when a stone skips across across the pond. You want it to echo beyond where you were. You want it to be something that exceeds who you are, whether you're Alexander the Great or Julius Caesar or Roy. I mean, you want it to exceed beyond when you lay to rest. Yeah. But, you know, like, so, um, I mean, if you watch, not that I would recommend that you do, but if you watch the original theatrical version, basically Deckard goes, I don't know why he saved me. Maybe it was because in the last moments of his life he loved everything that was precious about life. and You know, it's all that sort of shit, you know, that that he's going to die and he realizes the preciousness of life and and decides to save him. So you, you can take that idea or... Or you can, I mean, my thought, because obviously he releases that sort of pigeon to heaven, is that he he wants to have done something good before he dies because he's afraid of the afterlife, afraid of what's going to happen to him when he's gone. But, you know, as you're saying, the beauty of the film is that you can interpret it really any way you want, and that's why it's a great film. It It, it leaves itself open to so many interpretations. But I will say this, I mean, I... I I, I hate to be like a geek about it. Actually, I don't hate to be a geek. There's nothing wrong with being a geek. But, um, you know, I, I really think that the Deckard is definitively a replicant. But I don't think that... I don't necessarily think that um, that Roy Batty knows that. Um, but when when you get to the end... like So he's had that sort of unicorn dream that was inserted into the film. It wasn't there in the theatrical cut. And then, and then at the end, the, the unicorn is left by Gath, the um, is it Edward James Olmos character, 
And then Deckard hears that line, which was said to him earlier on in the film, where uh, um, where Gath goes, um, "It's a shame she won't live." But then again, who does? And then he crushes the unicorn in his hand and nods with acknowledgement. And then he leaves, and it's like a sort of sledgehammer moment. And then you watch the movie again, and you realize that, of course, he's a replicant. And there are these clues all the way through the movie that mm-hmm. are, you know, they're, they're there. They're really obviously there. Like, there are physical clues. Like, the replicants, throughout the movie, you see their eyes, that their eyes glow mm-hmm. red when they hit my light. And, and, and it's there with Harrison Ford's character. Yep. Um, you know, there's a line from uh, the Brian character, the sort of police chief or whatever, who says, you know, if you aren't cops, you're li- if you aren't a cop, you're little people. So he knows that Deckard's a replicant. Um, it's just, it's there, you know, it's, 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 it's all the way through the movie. Um, you know, a gaff says, uh, you've done a man's job, sir, meaning that, you know, you're not actually a man. Um, you know, Roy Batty says to him, uh, you know, let's see what, what you're made of um, in that scene where they're sort of, he's chasing him around um, J.F. Sebastian's house. And, of course, there's the line that was mentioned earlier um, where Rachel says, you know, have you ever taken the Voigt, the, the Voigt Kamp test? And, and there's no answer. Um, and, and also, you know, there's the thing where, like, all of the replicants, they keep photographs um, because they don't have their own history they keep photographs and Deckard's um, apartment or whatever it is, is full of ancient photographs. And, and, and there's a scene as well where he says, um, you know, he says that I dream music and then Rachel starts playing the piano and she says, I don't know whether I learned this or whether it's something that was implanted in me. So, you know, when you get to that, the end, there's to me, there's almost no other way of interpreting it. And, and of course, no matter what Hampton Fancher says, who wrote it, and Harrison Ford said who played it, at the end of the day, um, you know, Ridley Scott had the final word on that movie. You know, it's his cut of the movie, and, and he decided that Deckard is a replicant. But the problem is that you, you know, so that movie takes on a really tragic pull when you watch it, and you know that, and then you watch it again. It takes on an ironic tragedy that this man who is a replicant is going around killing replicants. Um, but now, they, you know, with, with Blade Runner 2049... Um, Deckard's still alive and it doesn't matter how good that movie is it ruins Blade Runner because the end of the movie is such a sledgehammer because you know that Deckard's a replicant and he's going to be dead in, in a few years and now they've released a new movie that might be great but if Deckard's still alive it completely changes Blade Runner it kind of ruins it it doesn't matter how good this new movie is it's, its existence and the fact that Harrison Ford is in it presumably playing Deckard basically takes away a lot of the wet, the dramatic weight and the power um, from Blade Runner. Well, guys, it is time for our top six. So, um, in this case, um, you're both, uh, you know, I think you guys are just going to have to decide who goes first. Maybe uh, you choose numbers or... Uh, um... I think Lee should go first. Yeah? I always go first. It should be Lee. Come uh, on, man. Look at that, Lee. Your first time. Yeah. I, uh, I, get, I get first seats. Okay, roger that. Hold on, let me... Let me look at the glass. It's on, motherfuckers. All right, all right. Well, this first one is potentially pretty easy, um, depending on how much you paid attention. Um, What is the motto of Tyrell Corp? I didn't pay attention. (laughs) Well, then you lost number one. The uh, the motto is more human than human. Uh, uh, How how do you like that? Okay. 
<laughs> Number two, uh, the Voigtkampf test. Um, it has its uh, origins in some um, nonfiction. Do you know where that comes from, Stephen? No. Well, it comes from Cambridge mathematician Alan Turing's 1951 paper in which he proposed a test called the imitation game that might finally settle the issue of machine intelligence. There you go. That sounds stupid in Cambridge. I mean, Oxford was way better than that. Come on now. You you fucking betcha, lad. That was horrible. (laughs) All right. um, Number three, uh, on to Lee here. some of the computer displays that were in the vehicles um, were used in a um, a movie. Another one of Ridley Scott's movies. Can you guess which one? Some of the sounds, too. Alien. Yeah. Alien. Alien. Boom! I had sex. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Great. All right. Uh, number... <laughs> Yeah. I had I had sex with that Holiday Inn Express. It was great. No, <laughs> num- number four. Um, the ending title sequence in the theatrical cut of the film, uh, and this will be for Stephen, and which is good because you've seen the theatrical cut. Um, it could, and it, this might even be in this uh, this version as well. Um, it contains unused footage from somebody else's famous movie. Do you have any idea whose movie that is or what movie? Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. You got it. All right. We are tied here. Yeah, um... I needed to go back. I, I read that piece of trivia, and I'm like, holy cow, well, I better go back and take a look at it. I kind of remember, again, I, I had The Shining all over this in, in lots of ways, but, uh, you know, in terms of the, the feel, but anyway. Yeah. Um, number five. Uh, this one is pretty easy, I think. Uh, might be too easy. <laughs> What is he's like, he's like he's like are you retarded this goes to God <laughs> What is what is Deckard's first name because they never say it in the film Is it Matthew? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, yep, see? See? I'm and I I kind of knew that that was an appropriate one to give to Lee because you know too much about this film, sir. It's Rick, Rick you, Deckard. You got it. Yeah. But you do not get the point. <laughs> Oh, I know. I get pride. I always knew he was a private dick. I always knew that. <laughs> so you guys are still tied. Um, the uh, tie-breaking question here goes to Stephen. Um, okay. Daryl Hannah's makeup, Persis' makeup, was inspired by the title character of a um, an old vampire movie. Do you know what movie that is? Oh man. Um, Damn, that's hard. You no, know, I really don't know the answer to that. The, the answer is Nosferatu, the vampire. Oh. You know, when she sprays her eyes black. and Yeah, she looked uh, very vampy. Yeah. All right. Well, that um, that would mean that you guys are tied. I have a tie-breaking question. Um, this one is going to be weird. I've got to figure out how to ask it. We'll start with this one, and I'll just kind of go from here. So this will go – well, let's see which of you can get closer to the inception date of Roy. Um – I got it. You April 4th of 2017. Okay. Nice. So you have April 4th, 2017. What do you have, Stephen? The truth is, I was just going to say 2017. I wasn't going to give a month. We'll give a month and a day. Well, I think that he's right, so I'm just going to say, <laughs> I want to say the same thing, but... Um... April 4th or April 14th, 2017. All right, I'll go with April 14th then. All right, that goes to... Um, I'm going to go with who is closer... Um, unless you guys want me to go, I'll, I'll tell you the date here in a second. And you were both completely yeah. wrong. 
We could go with who's closer. Okay. And he get and he gets he gets he's got four years of life left when he's beating the shit out of of. Uh, we could go with who's closer, or we could go for a different character and see if either of you can actually get. Closer. Let's go. Who's closer? Who's closer? Okay, Come on. you won, Lee. Yeah. The, the actual, yes. the actual yeah. date is January 8th, 2016. Okay. What? No, no, no. Okay, on the version I watched, which admittedly was online and I did not apply to copyright. I'm telling you, dude, he's beating him up on the trash can. He's like April 4th of 2017. And I remember because it was 2019 and I was like, man, this guy's Guess only going to live four Leon. years. Leon's is April 10th, 2017. Oh, that's who I'm thinking of. Who are you thinking of? Oh, yeah. Oh, I said Roy. I've been. Oh. Oh dear. I don't. I don't acknowledge Roy. <laughs> okay. Well, so yeah. So Roy was January the eighth, twenty sixteen. Leon was April the tenth, twenty seventeen. Zora, June twelfth, twenty sixteen. And Pris was February fourteenth, twenty sixteen. So Leon was the youngest of all of them um, by uh, almost a year. Across the okay. Board. Well, um, all right. Well, we've done it. Um, congratulations, <laughs> congratulations, right. Lee! You just won yeah. your first legitimate top six ever. Yeah, let's you see. knew there was a fire. Are we starting a trend here where um, we're just going to no, be shaming Stephen every? Go no. for it! I'm go for it. No. <laughs> Listen, I wanted to say on the trend for it, I claim Julius Caesar. You guys can go ahead and fight over everything else. Very nice. Well, let's switch right over to uh, Stephen and ask uh, about what's happening in uh, Attack on Movies. Exactly. Yeah. First of all, I want to say that I'm I'm proud of Lee, and I'm not ashamed. I think it was I think it was high time that he won one of these. He should be ashamed. I just want to I'm, no, fuck, no, no. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm ashamed. I'm the only thing is, is if if I'd been asked cold without without that, I probably would have said 2016 because he's nearly dead. Um, I would have guessed earlier. I might have gone with 2015, but no. um. Yep, you but fell anyway, for it. You got you got fell, brain fucked by Lee. I got completely skull fucked. <laughs> Not the um, first person to say that. Yeah, that's disturbing. <laughs> Is it really? Uh, Here's the thing. I've been uh, skull fucked by Lee too, but it just happened to be um, a uh, skeleton I have of a, of one of my old dogs that uh, I happened to have in my room when I left him in there. So yeah. I told him to keep an eye out for me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's Did you watch? join in or you know how did that happen oh yeah 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 i I totally but you know here's the thing when you have a skeleton of a dog there's not much left in the back to um make up a rectum so i had to just move on (laughs) story of my life at least when i was humping air um it i lasted forever it was like it was magic (laughs) um so what is happening uh, at Attack on Movies. Things that will be edited out for 100, Alex. Yeah. How long is this podcast going to last? Maybe it'll be about five minutes when you post it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, Attack on Movies is fine. Um, I took a little bit of a time out over Christmas. Um, I'm gonna but, but the next movie I'm going to do, which is already out in the been out for a while in the US, is La La Land, and then I'm going to do M Night Shyamalan Split, and then I'm going to do Trainspotting Two. And um, although I'm completely committed to Cinema Bushido, which I, I, I love, I think it's brilliant, and it's one of the best podcasts out there, um, I'm going to try and do my own podcast as well, um, and that would probably involve like uh, a new movie and an old movie that's connected to the new movie, um, and it'll probably be like a tight 45 minutes, 
Um, and if, if either of you two ever want to be involved, I would be grateful. But you don't have to be. That's cool. Um, but yeah, that's what's happening. So we're doing well. And also with the with the guide, I'm trying to catalog it a bit more. So um, what I'll do is I'll because obviously there's a star rating and the three and the four star movies are like, you know, the best movies you'll ever see. So I'm going to try and make a list within within that uh, part of this, the website um, that just takes the three and four star movies aside and puts them on their own page um, by year. So basically, that's my you know Attack on Movies recommends page as well. So that, that that's what's kind of going on. Very exciting. Yeah, I'm um, I'm looking forward to uh, all of the movies that you were actually just describing. Uh, I think uh, a new train spotting is going to be super exciting. Um, I've been falling behind. I meant to go and see a number of things this week, but I'm just going to have to deal with life for a couple more weeks, and then I'm just going to like slam myself like ten movies in a week or something like that, and see what I can knock out. Uh, Leroy, uh, how is uh, how are things going with the Saturday morning malt liquor roundtable? We have a Nigerian guy who's making our soundtrack, and we're going like what thing is is that we're doing revisions right now, so it's going to take a couple more weeks. But uh, I feel like it's going to have a, a very, uh, it's going to be very soulful in its own way. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be a nice little reprieve. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's nice to have two cinema files. But I think it's going to be something where it's, it's going to be less focused on intelligent movie watching and more like unintelligent people discussing yeah. conversations you know and then uh, we'll see from there um i want to bring in a fourth every now and again uh so that's that's something to be expected but uh it's gonna be fun i i think one of the things that that kind of caught me was that i was like well you know if we if we just do cinema they were just kind of like eating our own lunch right so i wanted to like i wanted to be something where it's it's more or less like a variety of, of topics but it's more based on the idea that you and me and 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 Stephen, A.K. England, can can all come together and be and be beautiful faggots, you know, be beautiful faggots. That's I like great. it. Um, when whenever I um whenever I'm talking about Stephen, I actually um I don't I didn't want to coin him another name, but I'm always calling him Stephen Chow. So you got that going for you, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, I like. You know what? That I want that. I will yeah. take that. All right, well, there you go. Um, yeah. Well, thanks a lot, guys. This was a, a, a awesome movie, and this was a lot of fun. Um, so, actually, this will be coming on right after the um, the Yojimbo uh, versus Zadoichi Zadoichi uh, meets Yojimbo podcast uh, that we have uh, coming up shortly. So, by the time you hear this, you will have already heard the Zadoichi versus Yojimbo with uh, Stephen and uh, Leroy and myself, and uh, this will follow right after. So, looking forward to it, guys.